Hi! Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show. All Jets on this episode as we talk to Ken Weeb of Sportsnet about tomorrow night's finale as well as a look ahead to the Oilers series. And we'll talk about the history, the very one-sided history of the Oilers-Jets playoff rivalry from the 1.0 days with author Jeff Kirbyson on the podcast. We are joined now by our friend Ken Weeb from Sportsnet as we get set for the regular season finale for the Winnipeg Jets and the playoffs starting next week. Ken, how are you doing tonight? Christian, I'm uh, excellent, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Tomorrow night, what does it... I'm, str- I'm struggling to find meeting, I guess, in tomorrow night's game. <laughs> uh, what, what should we look for in this game, or is it just a matter of uh, two teams playing for 60 minutes and trying not to hurt each other? Yeah, the bubble wrap would be uh, would be available if it were, uh, but we know that uh, you can't really play hockey at half speed. I don't think we'll see the intensity level that we saw the last time these two teams faced one another, but uh, I think for the Jets, it's a more important game again than it would be for the Leafs because the Leafs have already shown that they're 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 playing at a playoff level. So in terms of the Jets, uh, they've had you know two solid showings in their last three, but. I think they still need to elevate their collective game in order to get to a level that would have the potential to beat the Oilers four times in a seven-game series. So uh, I would look for a you know commitment to defense. I mean, we've heard a lot about the Jets limiting their rush chances against. Uh, that's something that isn't always easy when you face a team as skilled as the Toronto Maple Leafs, but I would say that's at the top of their priority list. And other than that, I think uh, Connor Hellbuck feeling good about his game, two shutouts in his last three starts. Uh, he'd like to have another solid outing, and you know, team defense is obviously going to be critical for the Jets against the uh, Oilers. So, and the other part too, I mean, they busted out of their offensive drought the other night with a five spot. But having said that, 22 goals in the last 11 games, two a game. I'm not sure two a game is going to be enough to get it done against Edmonton. So, I think they'd be looking to still create offensively without doing that while cheating uh, on the defensive side of the puck. Right, they're two wins in that stretch. They get five nothing, four nothing wins, and otherwise they're scoring one or two a game basically in all their losses. We saw the top line break out in a game Tuesday against a you know, a Canucks team on a back to back and Braden Holby wasn't great and it just it it wasn't a good night for the Vancouver Canucks. I don't think there's anything that can be answered, Ken, about the Jets until we start the playoffs. Do you agree? I do agree. Yeah, no, I've been saying this for a little bit uh, of time now, and the fan base was not happy with those comments. But I mean, to be honest, again, yes, there were things to be learned from those games. But to be honest, for the last two weeks or so, we've known the Jets are going to be in the playoffs. Yes, they had to punch their ticket. Yes, they went through a horrible seven game losing streak and lost nine of 11. But honestly, the only thing that matters is once the playoffs begin. I mean, this is a season that has been taxing for many. I think uh, as much as it is strange to hear, motivation has been lacking. I think teams are sick of seeing one another, and they'll be even sicker of seeing one another after that first round is over. But uh, the Jets have to show that they can raise their level. The Oilers have their number. We know that. They've won six in a row. They've won seven out of nine. But uh, guess what? Those count for absolutely zero (laughs) when the series gets rolling. So, I mean, again, it's not something that people want to hear that often, but it's the reality. Well, we're obviously very focused on the Winnipeg Jets angle of it, and we'll have time between now and Wednesday to to get into the Edmonton angle too. But the reality is this is a team that last year went into the bubble and you could say choked, you could say underachieved. They lost to the 12-seed Blackhawks. They're a team that, other than that one playoff run where they get to Game 7 against Anaheim in Round 2, hasn't done anything in Connor McDavid's time 
in Edmonton. There's a serious amount of pressure on this team to win, is there not? Yeah, I would say there's pressure on both teams, but I mean, you obviously hit the nail on the head, Christian. I mean, I was there in, in the bubble in Edmonton and watched uh, quite a few of those Oilers and Blackhawks games live. Uh, we know there was a strong Winnipeg uh, <laughs> flavor to that series uh, in in who was the best center in that series, none other than Jonathan Taves, the Blackhawks captain. So uh, I also think that served as some fuel for Connor McDavid in his 100-plus uh, point season. Uh, I think he's highly motivated to quiet some of those doubters who have suggested they can't get the job done in the playoffs. But, I mean, the Jets have their own demons to exercise when it comes to playoff success. I mean, they just have the two series victories in the nine previous years. So I think that also, and again, look no further than the Leafs. The Leafs haven't won a series since 2004. So uh, I don't think it's very wise to plan any parades until these teams get uh, into the third round, I guess, if you will. But, I mean, there's tons of pressure on the Oilers for sure. Uh, McDavid looks like he's handled that pressure quite well this year. Um, for me, the biggest question mark um, is Mike Smith. I mean, Mike Smith's been exceptional. He's been exceptional against the Jets. I think nine goals against in five starts, 4-0 record. And maybe even as important as what he's been able to do in terms of stopping the puck, he's been a pivotal part of, you know, impeding the Jets' ability to get anything created offensively on the forecheck with his puck-moving ability. We know that sometimes he can get a little bit careless and that puck can end up in the back of the net. But to this point, the Jets haven't found um, the answer to unlock their forecheck. And, and a lot of that has to do with Mike Smith and his puck handling ability. The other thing that we know about Mike Smith, he has occasionally become unhinged when there's been traffic in front of him. And you can be sure that Oilers fans were gasping for air uh, on that play yesterday when he took an inadvertent uh, you know, knee or whatever that was to the helmet uh, in that game with the Montreal Canadiens. So as Jets fans found out quickly, uh, when Mark Scheifele left three shifts into the series last year and Patrick Laine and Mason Appleton did not play the last three games, uh, things can change on a dime basically in that type of a series. But uh, Mike Smith is someone who I'll be uh, watching quite closely when the series opens up. It's going to be a lot of talk, too, about the depth of these teams. Obviously, no yeah. one on the Jets can match McDavid and Dreisaitl offensively, but depth-wise, it looks like Winnipeg might have the edge. In your opinion, Ken, what is the optimal lineup construction for this team? Well, I mean, I think that's a great question. Uh, I think the availability of Nikolai Ehlers will be will have a big impact on, on where that goes. Uh, I do think you know, Sean Reynolds, uh, my colleague there, has, has sort of come up with this next the next plan looks like Dubois could move with Lowry and Appleton. I'm not sure it's going there yet, but um, to me it looks like I think Andrew Kopp would probably slide in where Matthew Perot is on that second line. I think obviously he touched on the top line. I think they've actually done a pretty nice job since being reunited. Uh, Blake Wheeler's resurgence has been a big, uh, big boost for the Jets, if you will. I think points now in seven of his last eight and up to, I think, what, 15 goals and 44 points. So uh, he's back to playing at a pretty high level. Um, when it comes to the fourth line, I think Harkins needs to be in there. Um, but it's all about how Dubois fits in and how he's best going to be used. I, I would not be surprised if he moves to the wing. I mean, obviously in practice today was on the wing with Stastny, but I think that would be a place where Ehlers probably slides onto the right wing if he's available. But with Dubois, I think the if we're seeing you know the suggestion that he could move to the wall, I think if you're Paul Maurice, you can say, Pierre-Luc, don't worry about offense try to do your best to help shut down this super line or whatever line those guys go up against. If he can have an impact the way that he did against Austin Matthews while playing alongside Adam Lowry and Mason Appleton and providing some physical nature and strong board play along the wall, I think that's probably where they're going to land. But 
I mean, I, I can't say with certainty um, how that's going to sort itself out. I mean, you could easily see Dubois staying at center or staying in the top six because Stastny worked well with Lowry and Appleton as well, Christian. And then on the back end, I mean, uh, I personally like Pionk and Morrissey, but I also like DeMello and Morrissey. So as long as one of those two is playing with Morrissey, I think that's their best chance of trying to impede Connor McDavid. And then that second unit, whatever it is, whether it's DeMello or Pionk with Forbert, uh, there's going to be a lot of pressure on those guys to perform. In terms of the third pairing, for me, it's still kind of wide open. I mean, I, I could make a case for Vili Hanela. I don't think he'll be in the Game 1 lineup, but I also do think he'll make an impact before the series is over. Uh, I think it's probably that last spot. I mean, Pullman, Palmer, said he would be available, but, um, I mean, if he's in a yellow jersey a week before, we'll see. You know, the proof will be in the pudding. But Pullman did a nice job on the third pairing last year against Calgary, so I expect he'll be in the lineup. Uh, whether it's Jordy Ben or Logan Stanley behind him, I think that's still a bit of a question mark going into this weekend. I would uh, agree with mostly what you just said. Yeah, I think DeMello and Morrissey have, have and they skated together today. They look to be the, the unit for sure, and Forbert seems most comfortable playing with Pionk, so I would reckon we see that at least to start. Well, let's let's touch on the power play before I let you go, because sure. it seems like it hasn't been going so well for this team. They haven't <laughs> been getting a lot of chances, first of all, and part of that's because Nikolai Ehlers isn't in the lineup, and he draws more penalties, I believe, than anyone else on the team. But the way I look at it, Ken, is that there's not enough urgency on the power play. They're not moving the puck around enough, and they're not creating lanes to get the puck through to the net, and they're a little too predictable. What are you seeing? Yeah, no, I think you touched on all those things there. I think that you know, their ability to move the puck in the perimeter is still there, but I think they need to have a little bit more urgency, as you mentioned. They need to move the puck quicker. Um, I think other teams have kind of, much like last year, where it became too predictable. Kyle Connors' one-timer has not been as available uh, certainly right now. We know Pionk was working with the first unit again today, so we have maybe a little bit more of a shooting option than with Morrissey there, but it also makes that one-timer pass a little bit more difficult because it's an easier pass on the forehand for Morrissey to get it to Kyle Connor. Uh, having said that, I think that Mark Scheifele needs to get into more of a shooting position to be more of a shooting threat with this unit. Um, and I think there needs to be a few more interchanges because they have not been able to unlock that high slot uh, shot for Paul Stastny the way that they had in the past where when Wheeler was operating on the half wall you had the slot for Shifley open and you also had the one-timer lane. They haven't really got that cross-ice one-timer going uh, the way that they have in the past. So uh, I, I think they need better traffic and they need to find a way to get the puck moving quicker to create those open shot lanes that would be available. Much like how the second unit with Nikolai Ehler is doing that kind of reload, they haven't had enough of that motion that has got shots to the net. Pierre-Luc Dubois has got it going a little bit, but nobody on this team does it the same way uh, as Ehlers does. So once he gets back, that would be obviously critical. But uh, I think a simplification is the key here. The second unit, th their ability to get shots through and pucks to the net has really helped them a lot. And the, the first unit has been uh, a little bit of a funk. But as we know, I mean, this is still one of the best power plays in the NHL over the course of the year. Uh, and if they can get hot at the right time, we won't worry about what it looked like in, in April and May, I guess. One last thing, we are obviously going to pay a ton of attention to the North Division playoffs, including here in Winnipeg, but there are four days of playoff hockey before the Jets yeah. game begins. Which series outside of Canada are you looking forward to most? Yeah, I mean, you touched on the divisions. I mean, I think I'm looking forward to Vegas and uh, whoever they end up playing. I think if it's St. Louis, I think that'd be an, a dynamite series. And again, the great drama with Boston and Washington as well. 
and then the other you know the other division there too i mean florida tampa i think that'll be a fantastic series and also too carolina is a team that i haven't really watched a lot this year uh they they might have one of the toughest matchups nashville had to fight and claw just to get into the playoffs so uh tons of intrigue all around i know i uh, did i mentioned far too many to uh simplify it down to one but uh, some great matchups all around, and I think honestly, I think the Jets Oilers is going to be one of the most intriguing matchups in these entire playoffs. And and we know for the historians the fact that the Canadians and Leafs are back together uh, for the first time since what '79. I think that'll be a fabulous series as well. I'm I'm going to say that Colorado plays St. Louis. I'm thinking Colorado beats LA tonight, and they'll play the Blues. But if if one word answer, if you can, who's your cup? <laughs> who's your cup winner right now? Yeah, I'm taking Vegas to win the cup this year, no okay. matter who they play in the first round. Okay. How about Vegas yourself? Who do you got? Who Who are you taking? Ken, that's all the time we have tonight. Uh, <laughs> uh, honestly, I, I'm I'm thinking Colorado personally, but that Colorado Vegas series that is seemingly inevitable. We saw how much that took out, like the the Jets Nashville series took out of the sure. Jets a couple of years ago. So. I also kind of like what Boston's got going on right now with Taylor Hall on that second line and Tuka Rask playing well. But uh, I just waffled. It's my show. I don't have to answer the question. There we go. No, you don't. Appreciate your time as always, and uh, we'll see you in the press box tomorrow night. Yeah, thanks for having me, Christian. Enjoy the rest of your night. Take care. We're going to dive into now the rivalry that has been between Winnipeg and Edmonton over the years as they renew the rivalry for the 2.0 era. Jeff Kirbyson is a, an author who has chronicled the, I guess, the pain, Jeff, is would we call it pain of Jets fans over the course of their 80s uh, matchups with the Oilers and coming up short year after year? Pain and suffering. Pain and suffering, pain a fair way. Okay, Broken yeah, I'm, Ribs and I'm Popcorn sure. is the book, How the Winnipeg Jets Became the Best Team of the NHL's Most Offensive Era to Not Win the Stanley Cup. Sorry, Jeff, I interrupted you. I was going to say, I'm not sure we can call it a rivalry when uh, when the Jets really didn't do a whole lot of winning during that whole decade. Four and 22 all-time yeah. in playoff games between the two, and three of them came in one series that they blew a 3-1 series lead. So is it yep. is it kind of unkind to say that the you know the Jets had a chance? Is it, if they're up just against the, the one of the teams of the decade, one of the teams of all time. <clears throat> well, listen – for sure they had a chance, and uh, there are the two years in particular. You mentioned the 1990 year when Dave Ellett scored in double overtime in Game 4 to put the Jets up 3-1, and that and that's the loudest Winnipeg Arena I think has ever been. And that's when we all thought, finally, we were going to beat the Oilers for the first time since the last series in the WHA, and we're going to send these guys home, and all we had to do was win one out of three. And back then, uh, coming back from three to one down was was very uncommon. It, it only happened a handful of times in league history, so we thought we had it in the bag. And um, and then, the, but unfortunately, Bob Murdoch, the coach at the time, had a nasty habit of alternating goaltenders and not going with the hot hand. And in Game Seven, I was sorry, two things. One, in Game Five, he took Dale Howarchuk off the power play, which uh, which was puzzling to everybody, including everyone else on the Jets' power play. And he played uh, the backup goalie, Stefan Beauregard, in Game 7, which not only confused the Jets, but it also uh, let the Oilers... The Oilers knew when that happened that they had the Jets. They thought, they don't know what they're doing over there. They're playing their backup goalie. They're playing a hunch. We don't play hunches. We're going to win. And, of course, Game 7 was, wasn't much of a contest. And, sorry, and the other one, the 80-45 the team, was, I think, by all accounts, the Jets' best team. That's when they had six 30-goal scorers. 
and unfortunately they uh, and that's when they, so they beat the, uh, the Flames, but then they ran up against. So this was the Jets' best team of all time. They ran up against not only the Oilers' best team of all time, the best NHL team in history was who they played, and they did it unfortunately without their number one player, Dale Howarchuk, who had his ribs broken in Game Three of uh, against Calgary in uh, in the first round. And you got to remember too that the reason Jets fans were so optimistic was at the end end of the 85 season, the Jets were the hottest team in hockey. They went into the playoffs on a 13-game unbeaten streak, which is only a couple years after they'd had a 30-game winless streak, don't forget. And those 13 games included two wins over the Oilers in Edmonton. So if there was ever a year the Jets were going to beat the Flames and the Oilers, this was the year. Then they won the first two games in Calgary, so they had a 15-game unbeaten streak. Then McCallum broke Hartrick's ribs, and all bets were off. Hence the name of your book, Broken Ribs and Popcorn. And uh, looking at the, oh, yeah. the, the series, 4-2-5-2-5-4-8-3, the scores in the four-game sweep of the uh, Oilers over the Jets. And it was just the mercy of how the divisions were set up, right, where you had to basically face the same teams every year as opposed to in later years when we went into the one versus eight, two versus seven conference matchups, which would have favored the Jets except uh, – I mean, they didn't face the Oilers again after that, but it's not like they found playoff success all of a sudden once that setup was changed. Well, Glenn Sather said to me that if uh, the Jets had been in, a, in the other division, like a, uh, in the Eastern Conference, that, they, that the Oilers would have played them in the final a number of times. And the problem was you had three of the best teams in the entire league in the Smythe division, which meant that after, the, after two rounds, only one of them was coming out. And so the Oilers, with Gretzky and Shearer and everybody else, they had the, they had the, the, the guns... Uh, to to finish first, and finishing first was a big deal because you avoided one of Calgary and Winnipeg, and those teams were all tough. They were all rough. They were all they were a little dirty, and if you could avoid, if you could play Los Angeles or Vancouver instead of getting the crap beat out of you by Calgary and Winnipeg, you wanted to do that. And so the Edmonton would go into the second round virtually every year, playing a team that was uh, that had barely beaten the other one. And they were kind of hanging on, and they were easy pickings for the Oilers. So the Oilers took advantage of that of that situation, and it's just too bad that uh, that the Jets were in that division. Because remember, the Jets started their NHL uh, life in the Norris Division uh, when they, and their first round opponent in the first ever playoff game uh, playoff series was St. Louis. And imagine if we could have been in that division um, instead of playing Calgary and Edmonton all the time. Well, and this year you're in a the Jets are in a different division, right? Than they normally would be. They would not be facing Edmonton in round one unless they were a wild card team crossing over to face the Pacific Division champions. And right. there, I know that there's no connection between this franchise and the one that lost all those mm-hmm. games. But people in this city know full well, Jeff, the trauma of the that the Oilers brought. People of a certain age, older than me. I was born in '92, so I'm not, I'm not connected to this. But I've done the research. I can see what happened. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is it possible that uh, these wounds will be opened up anew starting next week? Absolutely. It doesn't matter that the team. It's really just a piece of paper that's in that's in Phoenix, and a different piece of paper that came from Atlanta. But, but the the Winnipeg Jets fans, the hockey fans, are the same people here. And so none of the players from back then are still playing. So it would have been a different team anyway. But for sure, that's a uh, those wounds are those scabs come off so easily. Uh, Winnipeggers hold a grudge like nobody else. And when you see at 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 uh, at, at Jets home games, 
um, and people are wearing flames at Edmonton jer- and Oilers jerseys. People say to them, "Are you? Do you not remember the 1980s when Jimmy McCallum broke Hartrick's ribs and Gretzky and Fuhr broke our hearts?" And so you can bet a hundred percent that people will be harkening back to those days, and uh, and and it, it's it, we need to we need to turn it into a rivalry and finally win one because uh, it was ten years of heartbreak and uh, and Jets fans of a certain age. Uh, don't forget it. And any fan who has a sense of history about uh, what happened back then um, will certainly learn about it. And if they haven't learned about it, they're going to learn about it from all their friends now. Or probably and, their friends' parents, I guess. Well, depends. Yeah, it depends on, on their age for sure. They can just, you know, go online and, and look at the numbers and just realize, oh, ooh, that was one-sided. Yikes. And yep. uh, like I've done. So you look at uh, this series, and obviously the Jets are the underdog going into this. That kind of seems familiar, doesn't it? The other team's got this generational goal, goal scorer. That seems kind of familiar, doesn't it? And they got the wingman, yep. which feels kind of familiar, doesn't it? So yep. there are definitely parallels, aren't there, from then to now? The one parallel we would hope to avoid is that at one point during the uh, the Jets-Oilers playoff series in the 80s, the Jets had lost 16 games in a row. That involved, so that was like three or four sweeps. And so think about that for a second. It's hard. It's, it's very difficult in this day and age to sweep a series, let alone sweep a number of series, and let alone to lose 16 games in a row. And so it wasn't until... Um, 1988, when the Jets finally, when they were down to nothing against the Oilers, when they finally won a game, and you would have thought that winning that one game was it was a big monkey off our backs, and it felt like we'd won the all-time championship of the universe. But then you got to come back again, and you got to play Gretzky and and Fuhr and Curry and all those guys. So it's uh, that that team, the dominance of those Oilers teams over those Jets teams was was almost difficult to believe sometimes, and so. The, these Jets will want to write a new chapter uh, in that regard for sure. So from a, from the sense of a fan that is of an age that witnessed the Oilers destroy them in the 80s, whether they were a kid watching it, whether they were already an adult watching it, if the, if the Jets were to beat the Oilers this year, and we're jumping ahead a bit, but if that were to happen, would there be a sense of vindication? Are you crazy? <laughs> of course there would be. I think that... I think there would be a certain segment of the population that would think if we could would beat the Oilers, we could get smoked in the next round, and that would still be a successful playoff. I think that uh, losing to the, every time the Oilers won the won the Stanley Cup, they went through Winnipeg, and so like I said, Winnipeggers don't forget. And um, we've the, the Oilers had us down, and they kicked us when we were down for a long time, and uh, and so by all means, the Jets like. It, it's it's very important for a lot of Jets fans to uh, to turn the page here and uh, and reverse that trend. So before I let you go, what is your read on this series this year? Well, if we're if we're making comparisons like you were doing a minute ago to the teams of the '80s and now, the big difference is in goal. So whoever's in goal for the Oilers doesn't really matter because uh, neither of their goalies is Grant Fuhr. And every one of the Jets I talked to for broken ribs, or sorry, every one of the Oilers I spoke to with, with, for broken ribs, I would ask them what, what the difference was. And I'd say Gretzky, Messier. They said, no, 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 no. Those guys are great. But you could, you could shadow Gretzky. You could maybe, maybe you could get on his nerves. You could get Doug Smale uh, shadowing him. But Grant Fuhr was the difference. Because we could be four all in a game, five all in a game. Grant Fuhr was going to make that last save. And that's all he, that's, that was his job, make the last save. And he was the difference maker, and, and um, 
And Wayne Gretzky has said a number of times that the difference was that they had a Hall of Fame goaltender and nobody else did. The Jets had Brian Hayward, the Jets had Daniel Berthiaume and Pokey Reddick and some goalies who were pretty good and might have been a little bit better. Well, who knows if they've been better on Edmonton, but we had some good goalies, but but that was the difference. The Jets, the, um, the Oilers had Grant Fuhr, and if Grant Fuhr wasn't there, they had Andy Moog, and then they had Bill Ranford. So they had three fantastic goaltenders, three Stanley Cup winning goaltenders. We didn't have that this time. We have the defending Vezina Trophy winner, so if there's hope in Jetsville, this is the year. Well, we will stay tuned. Should be a lot of fun starting next Wednesday. Jeff, appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for this. All right. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. Place.